You are listening to the Robin of Sherwood podcast, season two, episode four, Lord of the Trees. Hello everybody, welcome to the Robin of Sherwood podcast. My name is Sietse Wilman, I'm a big fan of uh, Robin of Sherwood and that's why I have created this show. And joining me on Skype is my co-host Andy Chesney. Yeah, hi everyone, it's always nice to be here. Yeah, good good, uh, good to talk to you again. Um, you are also the official quiz master of this podcast because you, well, every time you challenge me and the listeners uh, with a trivia question about Robin of Sherwood. Uh, so what is it this time? Uh, this is a question from the Sheriff of Nottingham episode with um, Philip Mark. So when he banishes Robert Reno from the castle, he threatened he threatens Reno if you come within how many miles of Nottingham, you are dead. So how many miles was he was he told to keep away from <laughs> from Nottingham wow. Castle? Wow! If, if anybody knows this, uh... but yeah, it's not something that would just particularly come to mind if you know from for most people, but. Yeah, this is the uh, thing. <laughs> it's a hard one. So everybody uh, out there listening, um, if you got this one right, if you know the answer, you get double points. Um, before we can start discussing Lord of the Trees, uh, I'd like to read a listener's email. It's from a guy named Rolf and it reads, uh, Hi there, I was so happy when I discovered your podcast, especially as I had just started re-watching the whole show. As for you, it marks one of my favorite TV shows of all time. When I first watched it on German television back in the 80s, it was a big hit and my friends and I reenacted the episodes on the local playground. As you'll review Lord of the Trees next, I thought I threw my two cents in. For me, this is easily the weakest episode, although there's a lot to enjoy here, like Gisburn fighting the trees. What really puzzles me is how on earth nobody did spot the red sweater wearing guy standing in the background during the scene where Robert, Robin secretly observes the enemy. Isn't red supposed to be a signal color? Right. And uh, now we're going to give our uh, opinion about Lord of the Trees uh, at the end of the podcast. But I asked it uh, our Facebook friends how they feel about this adventure. And it turns out that this is one you either love or hate. Some would uh, award it only two arrows. Uh, others would give it four. Well, we're going to save our, uh, our judgment uh, until later. Um, but Rolf ends his email with a question for us that I think we can answer right now. Because he writes, anyway... Uh, to end this email, I've got a question for you. Who is your favorite character of the show? As a kid, for me, it was Nazir, obviously. But I have to go with Scarlet, as he may be the most complex character. Watch out for the next episode. And it certainly helped that Ray Winstone is one hell of an actor. May Hearn protect you and your show. Nothing is forgotten, guys. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Rolf. So that's a really hard question. What is our favourite character from Robin of Sherwood? I mean, for me, it's an easy one, actually, because my favourite character, it's always been Robin. I mean, and, and, and actually both Robins as well. So basically, in the first two series, yeah, my favourite character was Robin Hood. And um, and in series three, Jay, yeah, Jason's Robin was, was my favourite. My second favourite character, perhaps that might, you know, because Robin might seem like an obvious answer. But the fact is that that's the truth, you know, he... My second favourite character is Little John. So yeah, I loved Little John and the way Clive Mantle played him. So he's def Little John is right up there. You know, he's he's definitely my second. He's kind of second favourite, really. Yeah, for me, it would be Robin of Luxley. I don't think I would say Robert of Huntingdon. 
I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about that a bit more in the in the third season. But then I think maybe I'd go for uh, for Scarlet. Yeah. So in the first two seasons, it's 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 Robin himself. In the third one, I'll uh, I'll say Scarlet. Right. Uh, so now it's time to take a closer look at Lord of the Trees. Um, it's one of the few that doesn't have a pre-credit scene. So we start with that uh, iconic tune by Clannad straight away. And at the end of that, we see a beautiful shot of the sun shining through the trees. The sun also seems to be shining for the Marys because they're having a great time with the villagers of Wickham. Uh, we see uh, John's girlfriend again. Uh, there's the scene with Brother Tuck um, when they say, uh, Blessed be. And then uh, Tuck says, uh, Amen. And then uh, Edward goes, uh, and Amen too. So we really see the two well, religions be together and in harmony actually the, the paganism and the, the christianity the marys and villagers have come together for this like sort of festival kind of uh, time you know it's obviously a pagan festival they're having um you know we hear a lot of emphasis on her and throughout the episode it's it's nice to see everyone sort of happy at this stage and and it's just a nice gathering, you know, with them all there in the forest. The the atmosphere in the, in the Nottingham Castle is a bit less uh, cheerful because uh, Abbot Hugo is angry at Gisburn, who still serves as a, as a sheriff. Uh, and he has caught one of Hugo's men pouching and uh, cut off his hand. Then he learns that there's a lot of pouching going on at this time of year. Uh, and why that is, is because it's almost the time of the blessing, a pagan celebration in springtime in which there can be no bloodshed and you can see that uh, well it, uh, a plan is coming up in uh, Gisburn's mind and uh, he's already uh, put that in action because he says uh, well soon I'll have men who fear nothing yeah I like that scene when when Abbot Hugo is um, getting fed up with Gisburn and Gisburn um, Gisburn actually gets really angry with with Abbot Hugo doesn't he you know he really shouts at him at the end doesn't he sort of says as sheriff, my lord abbot, you know, and all this, and he's, um, yeah, Gisborne's loving the authority, you know, he's, he's still deputy, which kind of carries on from the prophecy, um, with the sheriff absent, um, and yeah, he's kind of taking law into his own hands and, and carrying it out as he sees fit. Then we cut to a bar where some out of control men are drinking and tearing down the place. The owner sends out a boy to fetch Robin, but Robin at that moment is still uh, enjoying the festivities uh, with the people of Wickham. So we see uh, some more uh, footage of that. Uh, Tuck flirting with a woman. Uh, Much is uh, playing his flute on the Together We song. It's uh, not the Together We, actually, is it? It's a different, um, the one where Much plays the flute. It's a different track. It's not It's not on the Clannad, it's not actually on the Legend album, is it, that one? Oh, really? Yeah, it's sort of that tune they sort of all dance to in in the forest. Yeah, it's not it's, yeah, it's not actually I, on the I album. I think you're right. It's it's not on the album. Do you know if, if so it has been released? Some people have released copies of um of the songs on music only tracks off the DVDs and things like that. I've got I've got a copy of it on one of my kind of um private collection. My, yeah, yeah, you know. But um, a sequence of music, I guess, is kind of the word. Yeah, but it's not. No, it's not an official one released. That okay. So. Uh... So, but he he does like uh, playing his flute a lot uh, in his uh, in his episode. We're gonna see that uh, a bit more uh, later on. Then, uh, as a contrast, again we go to uh, Gisburn and Hugo, who are also having dinner, uh, but they are not uh, speaking uh, to each other at all. So it's a very uh, tense atmosphere. 
And uh, then the men we've seen uh, earlier uh, in the bar tearing it down, they enter the castle and uh, Gisborne greets their leader, Bertrand de Nivelle, uh, as an old friend. And I think there's a really funny uh, and, and meaningful exchange uh, between the two meeting each other. Um, and that's why I selected this scene to uh, throw in there as an audio clip. <laughs> and the massacre at Montebourg. Do you remember that? When you were trapped under your horse and I... No! That was not me. Oh, but yes, yes, it was, but... No, I... guy. You're mistaking me for someone else. But I remember when we stormed Chauvigny. You fell off the siege ladder and killed two of my best men. <laughs> but it was you under that no, horse. No, guy. No. Anyway, here we are. At your command. Ready to serve you, if you can afford it. It's an uncomfortable friendship, if, if you can call it that, between the two. They obviously know each other from years back, and they've, you know, they've got some hist- bit of history together, and they, they obviously have stayed on good enough terms. The fact that Gisborne's called on Bertrand, you know, and his mercenaries, you know, to to help, you know, to help him out. Obviously, Gisborne's had to pay them. And probably a lot of a lot of money as well, because after all, he is you know we find out in the stories you know he wants them to kill Robin Hood and Bertrand sort of has a way of kind of mocking Gisborne, doesn't he? And yeah. it's kind of like, and I, I, I just, think it, it explains why Gisborne is so out of control in this episode. I mean, uh, first of all, the power of being um, the sheriff has gone to his head a bit, but also yeah. he wants to. Um, impress Bertrand and his men and he yeah. just doesn't seem to be able to do it so he really goes into that and, and, and overdoes it I think and you get the feeling the sheriff wouldn't have authorized these kind of men to come you know to be a part of any of the, the plans you know these aren't people that the sheriff would want would want to mix with at all and so Gisborne yeah he's kind of enjoying his moment a bit and he he sort of he, he feels quite proud I think that he's managed to get these guys to come down to the castle and he's, he's you know because he, he sort of boasts about it a bit to Abbott Hugo doesn't he you know soon I'll have men that fear nothing and all this and as he kind of goes along with them during the episode he, he kind of tries to fit in with them as you say and he doesn't really fit in with them no. um, it, it's, it's almost like but, Gisborne hopes that their reputation will rub off on, on him a bit something something like yeah. that yeah well, Hugo clearly doesn't like the company Gisborne is keeping. You know, he uh, he even says so. And then uh, um, Bertrand says uh, to him, well, fighting is nearly as profitable as praying. So they have a bit of um, an argument there. Hugo threatens to excommunicate him, but he says uh, that's already been uh, been done. Yeah, and that shows the audience, that tells the audience already that Bertrand's someone that, that kind of, you get the feeling he's got no boundaries um, and that makes him dangerous. And one of the best things about Lord of the Trees is definitely Bertrand de Neville, his character, because he's he's a very wicked man and he's um, he's a dangerous opponent, actually. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Gisborne uh, underla- underlines that by saying, we're going to kill Robin Hood and every man, woman and child that supports him. So even the villagers aren't safe, yeah, in this one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> speaking of the villagers, they're still in a... a party mode because uh, uh, in the forest we see Hearn uh, paying them a, a visit and now they're dancing around the fire some of the Marys join in so there's still uh, nice uh, festivities uh, going on there we see uh, Nazir has two women on his lap another one uh, pulls Will into the dance 
And there's also a nice uh, little uh, shot of Robin and Marion. They seem so genuinely happy together. That's really, really nice to see, I think. Because we don't get moments like that a lot. Yeah, that's true. There's genuine sort of chemistry and, and happiness going on at the moment. It's Yeah, it's very... It all seems quite, you know, very believable how happy they all are. Yeah, and, it, and in the first apparently it goes time. on until the next morning because we see a, a wrestling match between John and Azir. And uh, at that moment, the boy from the bar shows up. That's that's a bit strange, I think. Did, did he run all night? Yeah, well, I, I don't, I've never really looked, thought into that much. I guess he's a boy that just knows of Robin, perhaps knows the kind of areas where Robin hangs out in the woods sometimes. I don't know why, why he would know particularly, but... Yeah, and also, he, um, I don't think the, the, the timeline doesn't really makes sense because mm. he's been sent away uh, the previous day and he only shows up the next morning i mean how does that work yeah i guess there's a bit of something they've just overlooked a bit mm. yeah anyway he takes them uh, back to the bar that's in uh, in ruins uh, still and uh, then we find out uh, that uh, will scarlet is taking this very personally he's really angry uh, because uh, uh, it was men like that the brabazons uh, that killed scarlet's wife it's interesting to know how passionate Scarlet is, and he um and, and at that point when when Robin reassures him that you know don't worry we'll you know he assures him we'll we'll get them, and you actually see Scarlet chewing on his um on his arm. He's actually that kind of he's struggling so much to hold his anger in. You actually see him kind of sort of chew away at his kind of chewing his arm slightly. It's um. Meanwhile, we see uh, Gisburn going to Wickham together with uh, Bertrand and his men. Um, they're looking for uh, proof that there's been a pouching uh, going on. He finds an, uh, an old pair of antlers on an altar and breaks it. Um, did you see when he walks around that he, uh, he kicks one of the chicken out of the way? Yeah, I always like that, that bit, actually. It's, um, it just, it's just typical Gisborne, isn't it? It's uh, seeing him do that, yeah. Um, this whole Wickham set, by the way, it's a lovely village set. They, they've actually moved it from series, it's changed from series one. Um, we only see Wickham in, um, in Alan Adale in just one episode in, in the first series, but they've actually moved it to a different location, Oldbury Court Estates, um, you know, sort of Bristol area, also known as Vassals Park, you know, years back to some people. But um, yeah, so I just thought I'd mention that just to anyone that doesn't know. Yeah, and it, it's, it, 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 it looks the, um, great. Yeah, yeah say, it does. Say, it's, it's a great set. Uh, then uh, Gisburn and uh, the Brabazons, they find a tree that's been decorated with flowers. And uh, uh, Edward explains that it's a sacred tree. Of course, Gisburn doesn't have any of that. He just uh, uh, lets the men drag the villagers away who try to protect it. Then they try to search the tree if anything illegal is hidden in there. They find nothing, but still uh, Gisburn uh, starts chopping it down. And, um, yeah, we seem to sort of start to chop away at it, don't we? Hack it, trying to hack away at it, but um, yeah. yeah. And, and then, like like you said before, uh, Bertrand is 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 mocking Gisborne, and uh, when he sees him uh, uh, chopping away at the tree, uh, he says, "What a hero!" Yeah. <laughs> then Edward uh, uh, has a sort of a, a prayer um, to Hearn. He says, "Hearn, Lord of the Trees, uh, let him see your power." And then we see a short shot of Gisburn getting lost in the forest. There's some, uh, well, slightly overdone sound effects, uh, I think. So we see that mm -hmm. something mystical is coming into play here. It's all, yeah, it's all very pagan. Um, and that's the whole theme throughout this episode. 
No, um, some Robin of Sherrod episodes do have a do have a theme that kind of is sort of based on you know the storylines based on not all of them but some do. For example, the Children of Israel Israel is is a Jewish theme. You know, um, Lord of the Trees is is definitely the the, the pagan episode of, of series two um, and pretty much the whole show actually. You know, as you say with Edward and that little prayer to her, and then it it just runs right through kind of. Yeah, it does, and and I think also uh, one of the themes is the paganism and how it relates to other religions. I think that's why we see a close-up of uh, Nazir uh, joining in uh, with the festivities. Um, we see Tuck uh, uh, joining in, so they obviously uh, represent uh, different uh, religions. Abbot Hugo also has a, a opinion about uh, the paganism. He he actually doesn't care much for it. Because when uh, Gis- Gisborne uh, tells him about it, he says, well, as long as they come to church and have their children baptized and are married and buried as Christians, they can do whatever they want. Yeah, and that shows just, again, that it just proves that Abbot Hugo wasn't a real, um, he wasn't a, a proper, a real Christian. You know, he, he was just a man kind of hiding in the church's power and authority. He wasn't, the fact he kind of, he basically admits it, you know, he's, he's not basically on the outside. He wants, he wants his people to, to be seen at the church or be seen to, to be living in that, you know, as he says, as long as they're baptized or whatever, you know, he's not too, but he doesn't care what they get up to after that. So he's, he's yeah, he's got no real care for people. Um, with Friar Tuck, it's interesting to mention, it's worth mentioning him because obviously being a, a Christian man, you know, a friar, monk, um, yeah, you, you, you could, e- you could easily question, you know, would he go along with all this? Um, and I remember, I think the only answer I'd give is probably is just going on, going by what Phil Rowe said himself. And I remember in the interviews, he said, um, he said it was a question which he he, he had to ask himself, you know, because obviously he was aware of that kind of thing um, about how Tuck would, um, would see it. And he said that in his mind, he decided that if Robin was OK with this and if, you know, with all this kind of Hearn thing and, and the, the pagan festival and stuff like that, he, he felt that if Robin and his men were kind of, were happy with this and comfortable and he and he thought that if it if it meant the, if the villagers felt safe and kind of everybody all sort of felt if it, if it brought a sense of togetherness then fire tuck sort of decided or phil rose decided in yeah in tuck's mind that he would he'd be okay with that and he would sort of back robin obviously it doesn't mean that that would be tuck's real beliefs himself but said he would let it kind of admitted to letting it go yeah, and I must say, it, it does feel kind of natural. I mean, they're just, you know, different beliefs. They don't have to uh, fight each other. They can, uh, um, yeah, live together in in peace and, uh, and harmony. It's no, uh, no problem. Also, I think it's uh, interesting that um, Hugo, um, he doesn't um, discredit the paganism. He does take it seriously because he says, well... Uh, leave them alone, Gisborne, or you'll find that the old gods aren't as dead as you think. So he he, he does take it seriously. Um, Gisborne uh, doesn't. He says dead, they never existed. So uh, that's that's a different <laughs> yeah. uh, view on that. And then I like yeah, and I like straight after that where um where Abby Hugo asks for the um for the scribe, and he says, you know, I'm going to write write a letter to my brother, you know. Like that young man's gone, you know, gone too far, and so, so you kind of this, this kind of this little bit actually, um, yeah, you can you can just imagine now that he'll go off and write a letter to 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 Robert Ray, you know, probably asking him to return as soon as possible, and that Gisborne's getting out of hand, and um, and obviously in the next episode, 
in the children of Israel, we do see see the sheriff come back. Yeah, th- th- those are little uh, seeds that are planted in this episode that will uh, come to bloom in, in the next one. There's uh, Will being really upset and, and arguing with, uh, with Robin. And there's also um, Gisburn getting out of control and, and rebelling against uh, the sheriff in the next one. Uh, of course, uh, the people of Wickham are upset by the cutting down uh, of the uh, sacred tree. Uh, the Marys want to have their revenge, but Robin says they can't uh, because there can be no bloodshed during the, during the time of the blessing. And uh, then he comes up with a plan to catch Gisburn and their brothers-sons uh, alive. Um, he has a plan uh, prepared in no time. I, I criticize the timeline a bit with, uh, with the boy from the bar getting their help. Um, here something similar is, uh, is going on because, well, he thinks of, oh, we have to catch them alive. And the next moment, the plan has already been uh, prepared and, and ready to be executed because the next moment uh, they attack uh, Gisburn and the Brabazons and uh, tell them to leave the forest, never, uh, never return, uh, try to uh, lure them out and, and get them with, uh, with a net. Uh, but Gisburn is smart enough to realize that they can't harm them because of the time of the blessing. Uh, so when the Brabazons do charge at Robin and Little John, uh, Gisburn stops them from walking into the trap. I, th- I don't. Yeah, the trap didn't seem convincing to me. It just seemed. The thing is, it was it was too obvious because once Robin and John run off ahead, they literally then just stop. And of course, you know, to just literally stop and stand still was obvious that they had some kind of protection, you know, up in the trees or somewhere, you know. But I do. I, do, I always love that bit where, um, you know, where Gisborne says to him, "Oh, you know, it's a trap. It, you know, it has to be a, you know, it has to be a, a bloodless one." And Bertram just sort of laughs it off. A bloodless one, you know, and um, yeah, I always think that's quite amusing. That bit. Um, it doesn't look from where Gisborne and Bertrand are standing; they obviously can't quite see Will and the others up in the trees. But on screen, it doesn't look like they're hidden very well. Um, I have to say, you don't get the impression they're even out of, particularly even out of sight. Obviously, that they would have been covered by some trees; otherwise, they wouldn't, you know, it'd be far too obvious. But the way the way it's actually shot, you see Will and the others sort of holding these kind of nets or whatever above. They, it just looks so. It just looks all too obvious. The whole thing, and it's um, yeah, a bit they, of a, they could see the trap from from miles away. Yeah, it was a bit of a lost cause. That I think really it was. And and also the their their decision is to uh, just retreat. I mean, they could easily go around that, uh, knowing that the Marys can't uh, harm them at this moment. So it's a perfect opportunity to catch them, even if they go around the net or, or something like that. But uh, uh, they decide to retreat and uh, ride back uh, to Wickham to demand food. Um, I think there's a funny little bit in there because when the Brabazons and the Gisburn um, enter Wickham, we see a young child yelling, father, father, soldiers. Well, we've, uh, we've seen that before. We've yeah, we've heard it before and seen it. Yeah, it was um exactly yeah, Robin Loxley, young Robin, wasn't it, in the opening of um of Robin Hood and the Sorcery? Yeah, they've used exactly the same voice. Uh, you know that that dubbed voice from the boy. Yeah, um, it's a bit sloppy when when episodes kind of use the same voiceover bits. You know, they just kind of assume that casual fans don't notice these things, but the thing is, you do. You know, if you're a big fan of a show, you do notice that kind of thing. You know, is in to any to any big fan of Robin of Sherwood, you you would know that voice straight away was from was from that very first episode. 
Yeah, I, I always hey. took it as a bit of a, like an Easter egg, you know, a little, little reference. It, it, it would have worked better in that way if um, they didn't use the exact same uh, audio, if they had just another kid uh, mm -hmm. running around saying the same lines. I think that would have worked better for me. Yeah, it's quite uh, uh, special that they uh, reuse that. When Bertrand and the, when the Babansons then come into Wickham, because, yeah, we see the, the little boy run off and Meg, you know, sort of sees him into a hut. Um, you know, kind of as the soul as, as they ride in, and you and even then as they're riding through, there's there's just a quick shot, and you see these these little children. There's, I can't remember how many there are, three or four, perhaps. I'm not sure, but, but they're they're all sort of running around in this little circle, playing you know playing this lovely little little game, this children's game. I just love that detail that Robin and Sherwood puts in. You know, I know these all just little extras on set. I mean, some of these kids were probably, you know, children to the crew and stuff like that. I think I've heard heard things like stories like that before, where actually quite a lot of the the extras sometimes in the villages were sometimes it was actually the children of even the, you know, of, of the crew and stuff like that. You know, the guys behind the scenes. And so it was all, it all just seems very happy and natural. But yeah, I love that, the way you just see these little kids just play this little game. It's just lovely. And then obviously the atmosphere changes. Edward sort of has to come out... Um, and yeah, and it kind of follows on from here. Gisborne um, tells him that he wants um, that they want food, food, doesn't he? So, um, yeah. So Edward, Edward announces uh, the mummers, the maskers, were going to perform a play, and again, uh, I think the Marys had like minutes to come out of the tree, ditch the net somewhere, come up with a new plan, get disguised as the mummers, and and show up in the village. So <laughs> I, I really think that that they should have considered the timeline of this story a, a bit better. I mean, it's, it's literally yeah. the next scene. They come up all dressed up and uh, I know. and have a new I just think you're not meant to think of the, think about the timeline in this one. They are, they, are, they obviously don't want people to think of the, the time. I think it, it's just it's just played out as a very entertaining episode. This one, yeah, absolutely. Um, the scene with the mummers is pretty funny. <laughs> They're performing a play. Yeah. Uh, John uh, forgets his lines. That's really really funny. Yeah. Um, and uh, most of it is taken from an actual play from those times, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, but I, I always think it's clever when you watch when when you're watching a, a program, and I always think it's really clever when you've got actors then pretending to be act pretending um, to be actors. Yeah, you know, when you actually think about it, it's you know actors are already on there to to play their part anyway and learn lines, and of course their character is then pretending to be an actor, which is what obviously Robin's men are doing here in the Mummers, and and yeah, I love it. I love how natural it is when little John sort of forgets his lines and he did, and Robin sort of you know just kind of just about you know has to kind of you know whisper the words back to him, and and then they they end up getting through it just about. Um, but yeah, it becomes a slight fast, doesn't it? With obviously, um, Will starts his role um, with gritted teeth, and um, and then and then Phil uh, Fry Tuck comes in, um, and it's yeah, it's, it's just like it's like pantomime, isn't it? It's, it was really funny. What's I mean, in truth, what's silly about this is that obviously you've got Gisborne and the and the Bansons watching now. The Bertrand and his men, they'd already probably be drinking i think they're already starting drinking and that so they, they they wouldn't be looking for any details particularly they're just kind of from their point of view they've just arrived at the village they just want some food they you know they're just they're, they're quite happy to just watch the entertainment gisborne though as we know is an observant guy and um and he watches things carefully and it, it is silly that gisborne doesn't recognize robin particularly yeah true. because i mean robin i'm not being funny but robin obviously gisborne would know robin's build well anyway but you can clearly see robin's he's, he's still got his green trousers on with his same boots 
um, you know, archery braces. It's, it's, um, it, it's, it is silly. Um, yeah, but, um, of course. But I mean, uh, when, when Tuck comes on, I mean, uh, how could you not recognize him? <laughs> yeah. He's quite a but obviously before, recognizable yeah. guy. But in the end, obviously, Robin and his men, they take the fight to the Brabansons anyway. So even if Gisborne was suspicious, he wouldn't have been in a, you know, before he had, even if he was to try and warn, you know, Bertrand or about it, you, you know, Robin and his men, if you obviously at the end of the play, they, they literally walk over and then, yeah, start punching and, um, and knocking over the, you know, knocking out the Brabansons and stuff like that. So, yeah, and, and, um, and even that the, the fight that follows the play, it's a bit... Mm, it's it's more funny than actually convincing. I think we have it lacks, uh, it lacks conviction. Getting, it? getting getting tired during the fight. Uh, one of the uh, of Bertrand's men is falling backwards uh, into the water. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a bit clumsy. It's it's, always, it's, it's it's funny, but it's not really heartfelt. It's I not. Think. No, it lacks conviction. That fight. Um, it's it's a bit. A bit sloppy. Um, you could, I mean, you could say almost it's played for laughs, but it's not meant to be. The, the actual bit where they sort of not, you know, do capture them, knock them. I don't think it's actually meant to be played for laughs that bit. But it's certainly very light-hearted. The way they've, there seems to be no fight back from the Brabantsons at all, and it all and, seems and, a bit. And that's why I think, I mean, in, just... in in a way, you can compare the Brabantsons to the Templar Knights from the first season. And, and it seems like this that make the Brabazons, you know, not as impressive. I mean, they're, they're obviously meant to be with the scene in the bar. And uh, we're learning that uh, um, Bertrand has been uh, excommunicated already. Stuff like that. But when they actually do have a fight, it's not that convincing. I don't really believe that they're such great fighters and such tough men because, well, <coughs> they put up a fight like this. They didn't seem to put up. They didn't really seem to put up that much fight against Robin and his men. And Robin, I mean, even at the end when he win, you know, when he over because he he wins the sword fight with with Bertrand and and um and he I think he overcomes Bertrand quite easily, really. But I th I think sometimes it can just be down to shock factor a little bit, though. As menacing as the as the Brabansons were, I think we we do have to remember they were drunk a lot of the time. And Robin and his men were sharp, you know, were sharp fighters. But I'll, I'll go into a bit more detail about that, you know, near the end when we come to that that sequence. Yeah, sure. Because, uh, well, uh, at, at this point, uh, they tie up uh, Gisborne and... Uh, Br is it Brabantsons? I said uh, Brabantsons? Yeah, Brabantsons. Anyway, yeah. um, Gisborne and, uh, and the mercenaries. Uh, and they go with the villagers uh, into the forest to receive uh, Hearn's blessing. Um, then there's this uh, argument we've seen uh, between Will and Robin, where uh, Will tries to convince Robin to kill Gisborne and the mercenaries, uh, but Robin uh, refuses. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's foreshadowing some of the events in the next episode, The Children of Israel. Uh, and then there's more uh, dancing around the fire, some more flute playing. And uh, at this point, I think it's getting a bit too much of that for this episode. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's quite a long scene, and I felt like, yeah, we get it. They're having a good time. The festivities, paganism, all over. Yeah, the place. It, it does. It does drag on a bit. I feel. Yeah, uh, we see that uh, Bertrand uh, has managed uh, to free himself uh, and the others, so they decide to sneak up on the villagers, and um, then at the spot they decide to kill Hearn in front of the of the villagers. And uh, well, you said before, uh, Robin and his men uh, with the, with the net. That they're not very well hidden, 
I feel uh, the mercenaries are not very well hidden here. I feel like you could spot them from a mile away uh, in the in the bushes. Yeah, but I think they because it's so because it's dark though. I mean, in truth, Robin and his men should have should have had someone on lookout the whole time because you know whether it's festival or not. There should always be someone looking out, you know, for their safety. Yeah, they, they it did seem a bit easy the way they were able to just sneak up on the whole on, on them all. But without a lookout, then obviously there was nothing stopping them. It and was dark. Probably distracted it's always been because they're all focused yeah. on the coming of Hearn uh, to to receive the blessing. So, well, there's a little give him a little credit for that. And um, uh, Hearn does uh, show up, and uh, then uh, Bertrand shoots him down with his crossbow, and they uh, they attack uh, the villagers. I believe they even uh, kill some of them. And uh, uh, Gisburn sees Hearn walking off. Uh, he calls for Bertrand first, but uh, when he doesn't show up, uh, Gisburn decides to go after Hearn himself. And he leads him uh, deeper and deeper into the forest. Um, but it's only later on that we learn that it's actually Robin dressed up as Hearn. Yeah, and that's what really provokes Gisburn, actually, in the first place, is the fact that, that he sees Hearn rising again. You know, it kind of made Gisborne more, even more determined to try and, you know, right, well, I want to, you can see Gisborne thinking, you know, he really wants to finish this off now. And, and he's, um, he's just angry about the whole thing. But of course, yeah, Robin just kind of leads him to another bit of the woods just around the corner. And obviously Hearn, I think we're led to believe Hearn's magic kind of takes over from there. And, and, and obviously all the trees are all turning against Gisborne. Um, and there's all these voices coming through, you know, that are kind of getting in his head. And it's um, and before he knows it, Gisborne's actually yeah, he's effectively battling against the, the powers of the, the forest and the sort of these the trees and everything. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. Um, I must say, I, I really like uh, the idea that um, Robin is dressed up as Hearn. I mean, it comes in handy that the suit doesn't show his face. We all know that the way the suit was made and the, and the headgear was made, uh, it wasn't the way uh, Kip Carpenter uh, intended it. But here, it it, it comes in. Uh, yeah, quite 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 handy because this way uh, Robin can fill in for Hearn. I, re- I really like that, and uh, we see uh, that uh, the real Hearn has been taken care of. And he says, uh, "You see your uh, your man become uh, you see your god become a man, the old riddle." And I, I really like that the idea that it's a bit of a, a shamanish figure that he can he's he's a man, but he can be you know taken over by yeah. the god. Yeah, they get that point across from cross very well yeah that's how Hearn was written as a character and yeah you really get to see that in this episode yeah in a way this is really Hearn's episode I mean it's called Lord of the Trees and stuff and uh, and uh, I like that he, he's getting like his his own uh, adventure in, in a way <laughs> because he, yeah. you know, he, he's such a unique figure into the Robin Hood story he's, he's, he's it's, it's it's become quite an iconic Sort of image, isn't it? Yeah, quite yeah, an iconic yeah. image. Uh, last year, I was on a holiday in uh, Sri Lanka, and I have this uh, T-shirt with uh, the silhouette of uh, Hearn the Hunter, and it doesn't have any recognizable characters on it, and there's no uh, words on the shirt or anything. And uh, one morning, I was in an old uh, Dutch church uh, visiting there, and I was wearing the shirt, and a very old man who belonged to the church uh, came up to me and I, I, at first I thought I may have done something wrong. Then he pointed at my shirt and he says, ah, Robin Hood. And I thought it was so oh, funny that, that he, he recognized it. And it was the first it. day I was wearing that shirt. I, I, I wore it yeah. on uh, uh, several other days as well, that uh, holiday. 
And I think every time I put it on, people from Sri Lanka came up to me, pointed at it, recognized it, uh, and and says uh, said, "Oh, I really like the show. It's a Robin. It's a guy from Robin Hood." So even in Sri Lanka, it's it's an iconic image, and that's really uh... yeah. It's funny you say. Um, it's interesting you say that. But on there are actually a lot. There are quite a lot, a lot of Sri Lanka Robin Hood fans on on the Robin Hood Facebook group. There are actually a large, um, a big number of Sri Lanka fans that you know, that, you know, so many years on they they they, rec- they recognize it still. And yeah, yeah, I, I was really really surprised by it. Anyway, uh, like you said, uh, Gisborne is getting lost in the forest, being almost like. Uh, possessed by it in a, in a way uh, he finally makes it back to the castle he's really uh, really upset and Abbot Hugo actually Abbot Hugo is not actually too hard on him but he but he does obviously get you know he does kind of get his point across when he's you know when he just says to Gisborne you know I warned you didn't I and yeah Gisborne Gisborne's really really distressed isn't he um, uh, about what, uh, what's happened he's, he's very upset very almost traumatised very sort of um, very upset by it I suppose it's kind of like it's almost it's kind of like being in a bad dream, isn't it? Because what Gisborne has just been through—that's the sort of thing you'd get in a in a bad dream, isn't it? A nightmare, that kind of thing. So the next day, uh, Bertrand and his men to where we've seen him go to uh, in the beginning. They see a man in a hood sitting there uh, on his own and uh, decide to uh, to bother him. Uh, they pour his drink over his head and want him to pay for it, uh, stuff like that. Um, but of course, it turns out to be Robin. Uh, he and the other Marys uh, attack the mercenaries, and uh, that way, Will finally gets his uh, his revenge. Especially, we see him uh, kill one of them. That must have felt uh, must have felt good for old Will, I think. Yeah, this is a much better um, a much better fight scene than the one we see earlier <laughs> that we spoke about when they um, when they when they attack, when Robin and his men attack them after the mummers play. Yeah, this one is um, it's actually got a bit of tension to it. This. Um, this this is actually my favourite sequence of the whole of the whole episode now from this very bit where they um when they sort of pest you know when they sort of pick on Robin um you know with his hood up and and this whole thing right through to the very end um yeah end is, is that why it's, you it's, uh, picked uh, this um, scene to uh, have a listen to yeah definitely hey Monsieur what is that hey English it smells Bad. <laughs> Here. Try some of mine. <laughs> what do you think of it? Taste any better? No. He did not like it. Oh, but you still have to pay for it, won't you? Go on. <laughs> pay, my friend. Hey. Are you deaf? Dominic, maybe he's done. Hello. Speak up. <laughs> no. <laughs> he can talk. The ape can talk. <laughs> Go on. Pay my friend. And they'll have one too. He said, your money. I love the way he's just kind of observing and you can tell he's just kind of keeping his head down and he, he just waits for his moment. You just see him look up. He just looks up at two of the band songs and then literally just throws the table at them. And um, and, and I love the acting from Oliver Topias when um, there's a very quick shot of when... Because um, Bertram's laughing at the time because he's drunk and 
Um, but it, but and but but he could, where he's laughing, it's like a, it's true to life. When you when you're really laughing at something, you, the laugh kind of carries on sometimes for a few seconds. Are you know just for that just a little bit longer. And yeah, even after Robin starts attacking him, you just see Bertrand still kind of laughing slightly. But then he literally, his face turns to serious and he kind of looks around. You see him look around and he kind of knows he's in trouble here. And um, then, yes, you've got the Marys all sharp, motivated. They're armed with their, you know, they've got their weapons on them. Yeah, so this is, like you said, a much better fight than the first one, isn't it? Yeah, and you, and you just sense that, because um, obviously the whole most of the episode has been gearing up towards a confrontation between Robin and Bertrand and, and you know, obviously the Marys be the Brabansons. And obviously now it's come to that point where it's all come to a head now and that's what I really like about it. And the, and the way it's done is, is, um, is quite gritty now and it's, um, it's quite exciting. So it, it almost been... seems like this fight is from an entirely other episode. Yeah, possibly. Either that or they just realised they couldn't keep it quite as light as it had been and they need to kind of actually step up a gear a bit now and actually, you know, kind of bring... This is where the episode probably gets a bit darker now. Um, it's just, you know, slightly darker in tone, obviously. And um, and this is the thing, you know, so the Brabansons, they're complacent and this is their this is their weakness. Yeah, they would have, you know, they were capable. They were nasty, very nasty people and they were obviously big very big guys physically i mean they're huge they're they're very strong very strong men but i think um what i say here and this is the thing that they're, they're bully obviously a group of bullies essentially and if you um bullies aren't used to to opposition they're not used to kind of being um people standing up against them and i think what what you see here is that this is a situation where actually you can it just shows that if you're you know, if you're ready to take on bullies and you and you kind of you can catch them off guard, and um, and a lot of bullies are, are cowards as well deep down, and um, yeah, you know, this is their turn, chance to sort of their turn to panic a little bit here, and you know, they're not used to being attacked by by other men and and things like that. So, um, but yeah, anyway, so the the, the fight scene breaks out. Um, it's all a bit hectic, and then obviously Bertrand um, manages to escape out out the front out the door in the end but robin obviously takes him on in the sword fight yeah it's it's, it's a great fight and that's why um yeah like i said i, I feel almost is like it's it's the ending to a different episode than we've just seen i, I like the, the moment also where uh, bertrand pretends that he wants to kill himself and then marion uh, tries to stop him uh, and uh, he grabs her yeah a good tactic that he knew he knew that he was beaten by robin in the in the duel he then cleverly pretends the pretends to kind of surrender and just the whole sort of you know you know he knows full well he, he if Marion, you know tries to take the sword he knows he's easily he's strong enough to kind of pull her in. It, it was a good tactic actually. And then, obviously, uh, Robin, in, in, in the end, Robin makes this uh, spectacular shot and uh, shoots uh, Bertrand from a, from a great distance. I thought I, I don't think Robin's archery has ever been tested as much as it was here. I mean, this was just you know to put this in perspective. He has one shot. Okay, um, it's do or die here. He either ha he either has to he either gets Bertrand or Marion will actually be raped and killed. Um, so Robin, he has to get this shot right. I mean, it's it's just brilliant. It's very well acted. Um, you know the way Robin just very quickly as soon as soon as Bertrand rides off, Robin straight onto it. He just quickly can't he just quickly moves around the corner, much passes in the arrow. And and um and everyone's just just really quiet, just letting Robin concentrate, and um and he just yeah he picks exactly the right moment 
and um, and yeah, bang, he's he's got him. Yeah, it's a it's it's a great ending to, uh, in my opinion, not so great episode. It, it, it's a difficult one to rate because there's a lot to like. I like the atmosphere. I like the Marys interacting with the villagers. I like the underlying theme with the paganism. I like uh, the way uh, Hearn uh, is, is being portrayed. Uh, I like the way it, uh, it builds up to the next episode. But I, I think there's a bit too many plot holes and, and sloppy things in here. I mean, we, we never find out what happened uh, with the villagers we, uh, after they had been attacked by the, by the Brabazons. I mean, some terrible things must have happened there. Uh, how did that fight go? And also, uh, at the end, how did uh, Robin and the men know that the mm. Brabazons would come back to that same bar? I mean, how long would Robin have to sit there waiting for them to show up? So I, I like the theme, I like the atmosphere, don't like the story so much because of things like that. Uh, that's why I was somewhere between a two and a three. But in the end, I think there's enough in here to like. So it's a, it's a very small three arrows for me. If, if we were doing half, if we were doing half arrow, half marks, I'd, I'd actually give it three and a half, Lord of the Trees. But I'm, I'm, I, I would I'm have given it two I'm, and a half. I'm, so yeah. So sure, I think let's give it. Yeah. So that gives it an average of a three, really. Yeah. With kind of three arrows, which is which is probably why for it, I think. I, I can imagine why uh, some people really like it. I can also see what's wrong with it and why some people don't like it. Okay. Um, so just like one said, more thing. Yep. You know when we did the prophecy. Yeah. Um, I want to change my rating for that, and so I just I would like it if the fans can just hear. Um, I gave the prophecy a four, I think, at the time. You gave it a three. I'd like to change it back to a three, if that's okay. Having rethought it, I don't rate it for um, four arrows. So um, because I don't, yeah, I don't regard it as um, as as high enough for four. Um, so yeah, just just let everyone know my my score for that is is changed to three arrows from from last time. Okay. Yeah, sure. We can keep on uh, correcting this course until we're completely uh, satisfied uh, <laughs> with them, I suppose. So to end this uh, podcast, uh, Mr. Quizmaster, um, still need the answer to the question uh, you asked us at the beginning. How many miles was the sheriff told to stay out of Nottingham? Uh, I'm going to say 10. Yeah, not, not far off. Is it? it was 20. <laughs> 20. Oh. Yeah, 20 miles. So um, there you go. So uh, that leaves me uh, with nothing more to do than uh, to close off uh, this episode by uh, thanking you, Andy, for your contributions. Uh, and as always, uh, do a shout out to Bram Brouwers for playing our podcast theme music. If anybody out there is uh, listening and uh, wants to reach us, uh, you can send an email on surewoodpodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message on Facebook. Our page is facebook.com slash surewoodpodcast. Also, please help us spread the holy word of Hearn by sharing uh, this show or give uh, some, uh, some good ratings and reviews on Spotify. For now, thank you for listening and may Hearn protect you.